Hi, I'm John Eno. And I'm Ivalice Crespo. Welcome to the Reed Smith Podcast, Inclusivity Included, powerful personal stories. In each episode of this podcast, our guests will share their personal stories, passions, and challenges, past and present, all with a goal of bringing people together and learning more about others. You might be surprised by what we all have in common, inclusivity included. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ivelisse, how's it going? Hi, John. I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. So today we have a special guest, our partner, Mark Goldstein. Mark is a partner in our New York office and specializes in employment and labor matters. But maybe more, even more significantly, in February of 2019, uh, Mark published an article in the American Lawyer really chronicling his journey with mental health disabilities, and in particular, severe depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and anxiety. After the publication of that article, literally without exaggeration, the response was amazing. And later that year, Mark helped form Reed Smith's Mental Health Task Force, whose mission is to ensure that our lawyers and professional staff get the assistance they need to confront mental health and substance use issues and to challenge the stigma surrounding some of those issues. The goal of the Mental Health Task Force is to cultivate a workplace that promotes psychological wellness and encourages help-seeking behavior. Hey, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So if you could, please share with our audience your personal journey and what led you to publishing that article in The American Lawyer and your journey in the time that has followed. Sure. Uh, absolutely. And again, thank you for having me on and for this opportunity. It was a little bit more than three years ago, Labor Day weekend of 2017. Um, that changed, you know, I would, I would say the course of my life uh, forever. And what rapidly happened was the onset or, or the exacerbation of, of those three mental health uh, disabilities. And it's taken me a long time to call them disabilities, mental health issues, but they are exactly that. Um, and, it, and it was severe depression, as you said, OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder and generalized anxiety. And perhaps I had suffered from them uh, my entire life. It's entirely possible and probably likely, but I didn't really have any manifestations of them that impeded my ability as a person until that Labor Day weekend. And very quickly, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I just fell into a very dark place. One of the things that happened was uh, the OCD took over and I became obsessive about checking emails and documents. And most attorneys are, are somewhat obsessive to an extent. But what I mean is that I went back over through every matter I had ever handled at the firm and I looked through every email that I had ever sent or received and every document I had drafted. And what was I looking for? I was looking for some instance of malpractice. Not because I had anybody had accused me of malpractice, not because I thought I had committed malpractice, but I became so obsessed with this. And I would look over a settlement agreement that had been drafted five years earlier, and I would wonder whether or not I had drafted the assignment clause correctly. Things that couldn't have mattered any less. But nevertheless, I, I became obsessed with this. And I started lying about it in particular. Often at night, I'd wake up at 2, 3 in the morning, and I would go upstairs for three hours, four hours, and look over, again, emails and documents for a particular matter. Um, but I would tell my wife that, you know, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to get a glass of water downstairs, and then I would sneak down before she would wake up. I got to the point in my both my professional and personal lives where I, I was not functioning. You know, it, it would be under-exaggeration to say I wasn't functioning as I wanted. I wasn't 
absent, present as a father, present as a husband. When I was at work, most of the time I spent, Reed Smith, uh, the New York office has a wellness room, and I spent most of my time having panic attacks in there, just trying to breathe through them. When I could stomach being in my office, I would go through these obsessive tendencies again. So I wasn't being productive as personally or professionally. And I realized after maybe four or five weeks that if I didn't make some sort of change, this was going to be, I was going down a very dark path. At the time, I didn't com- contemplate suicide or anything along those lines. And, and I didn't even think about that. It hasn't been until, you know, the past few years meeting other people who've been affected you know, often family members who've been affected by mental health issues and understanding the, the you know, the, the devastating, including, you know, fatal effects that mental health issues can have. And I even, you know, understood that part of it. I thankfully did not have any suicidal tendencies or thoughts, but I didn't think I was going to make it to 2018. I, I just didn't see any way. And, you know, I realized that I wasn't, not only was I not going to attain my, my personal goals and be the father and husband that I wanted to be, but I wasn't going to obtain my professional goals either. I, I was never going to make it to make partner at Reed Smith. I was never going to be the lawyer that I wanted to be if I didn't make some sort of change. So with that, I decided that I was going to take a leave of absence. And I went to our firm's HR team, who was extremely supportive, as was everybody in my group and within the firm. And I said, look, I need some time off. I said, I don't know when I'm going to be back. Frankly, I don't know if I'm going to be back. I just need some time off. And my, my leave started on October 17th of 2017. And I truly didn't think I'd ever practice law again. But what transpired over what it ended up being the next 11 weeks was really a transformative experience for me. It involved different forms of therapy, traditional uh, psychology, in addition to cognitive behavioral therapy. I also was the type of person who before then would have scoffed at the idea of meditation or mindfulness. But at my wife's urging, I gave it a shot, even though I was certain it would have no impact. Uh, And lo and behold, uh, still to this day, even yesterday, I still meditate. I still practice mindfulness. I found it to be incredibly rewarding. And, you know, I started eventually, you know, between the therapy, between medication, which I took last night, I'm going to take tonight. I'll probably take for most, if not the rest of my life, between mindfulness, between meditation, you know, physical activity that I had been avoiding, uh, reconnecting with my son, between all those things. Uh, starting around early December, I started, you know, to feel like myself again. And uh, I returned to the firm on January 2nd of 2018, 11 weeks of the day after I had left. And, you know, I was probably just as scared that day because, you know, it's one thing to take the leave. At the time I left in October, I thought, you know, what, I'm probably never going to see any of these people again. And then I was coming back and I was seeing these people again. And some folks knew why I had left and some folks didn't. And I didn't know how I'd be received. You know, still to this day, as we know, mental health can have, you know, there could be a stigma associated with it. And I didn't know if people would want me to work for them. I didn't know if, you know, people would give me assignments. And, uh, you know, I came back to the firm. And within a couple hours, I was sitting down in, uh, in the office of our uh, New York office managing partner, who's the partner with whom I work the most. And she said, look, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you. And she knew why I had been out. And she said, it's the same thing. We've got all the same stuff going on as when you went out. And that put me at ease right away. I I was right back in the swing of things, just picked up. But I was able to do so and and, and practice as a lawyer with a different, I guess, mindset as I had before my leave of absence. 
And what ultimately led me to publishing the article and being open about this was over the course of that following summer, in the summer of 18, I joined Leaders, which is our disability inclusion group, you know, as, as, as you know, John. I met some incredible people, both attorneys and, and staff members who themselves had gone through similar issues to what I had gone through. And what impressed me was that these were many of these people were by all outward appearances, pictures of success. You wouldn't have known that they were, were struggling. And particularly for me, when I was, you know, in the thick of it in the fall of seven, of 2017, I assumed that within the legal industry, I was the only one suffering. I was alone. Everybody else was functioning well. And so it opened my eyes to the fact that there were, you know, partners who had made it to the upper echelons of having a fantastic client base, being well-regarded, yet they themselves had gone through uh, or knew somebody who was going through a similar situation. And it was ultimately after talking to um, a number of these people and realizing that I wasn't alone, but at the same time that many of them didn't feel comfortable uh, coming forward and telling anybody their story. And certainly, you know, I respect that journey, but I wanted there to be a resource out there for when the next Mark Goldstein looked. Because when I was in that position in the fall of 17, and I was Googling lawyer burnout, lawyer depression, and I don't like the word burnout because I think it glosses over these issues. But nevertheless, when I was Googling these issues, there was really very little that came up. Frankly, the number one article at the time that came up was by, written by a recruiter, and it said, if you're feeling burnt out, don't tell your firm. You need to suck it up. So after speaking with all these people, I knew there were people in my corner who felt the same way I did, and I hoped that this would help you know, the next person coming along. So I, I sat down one morning and I spewed out a couple thousand words. And as they say, the rest is history. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your story with the world. You know, as someone who has had to navigate and PTSD for over a decade, and as someone who's had to, you know, enter a profession, the legal profession that tends to exacerbate my symptoms, I can 100% relate to your story. I recall any time I would meet with clients, um, I would feel this anxiety that would be debilitating. You know, any time that I would be in an adversarial nature with a colleague that I would view as being overly aggressive, my fight or flight would kick in and it would make it really difficult for me to do my job. So hearing stories like, like yours, right, and, and, and seeing it on such a public stage really helped me personally, right, to, to grapple with some of the own insecurities that I have regarding my mental illness. So I really, really do appreciate you sharing your story because I do think that it it signals a beacon of hope for a lot of people who are struggling. Were you surprised by the public response that you received as a result of the article? Yes, uh, I, I think it would be an understatement to say yes. You know, look, I, I had a little bit of trepidation in, in publishing this article. And that was, again, same as I felt when I returned to the firm is because you don't know how people feel about these issues. And particularly if you're going to write something that's available to everyone in the world, that means that clients uh, are going to read this and potential clients are going to read this. And other colleagues who didn't know what you went through are going to read this. And, and I had you know, an immense amount of trepidation and I, and I certainly weighed the costs and benefits of doing this. So I just felt that I, I couldn't with a straight face and a good faith continue after having put the words down, not, you know, not publish this article. And the response has surpassed mine and probably anybody's expectations. You know, the anecdote I tend to tell, two anecdotes in this regard is one, you know, I got into the office early the next morning, the, the article came out sometime around Valentine's Day. And 
I got a lot of messages that afternoon. It was it was incredible. But the next morning, I got into the office early, and at maybe seven seven thirty, I received a, a call from an appellate judge who shared with me that he had never been able to tell anybody in the judiciary that he had he, he had felt a similar way, and he had always felt alone and, and very sad that he couldn't share what he had gone through in the past. He was open. He was candid with me, and I, and I was just so stunned to hear this from a seasoned jurist and and the second you know response you know or, or the second type of response was, was from clients and potential clients i didn't know how they'd respond and it's amazing how supportive they've been one just one example being general counsel for a financial institution that we do work for he read my article and we had a conversation after it came out a few months later i was speaking out in california and he and I were discussing a litigation I was handling, and I told him that I was traveling for several weeks to do some some speeches on this issue. And you know, I'd be in California, I was going to be in Nashville, I was going to be here and there. And, and you know, without missing a beat, literally, he just said, "You know, that's great. Keep making lemonade, referring to lemons into lemonade." And I was so absolutely touched by that. Those the judge's response and this attorney in house attorney's response were emblematic of the broader response. And I still get emails and phone calls to this day. I mean, it's a year and a half later, you know, I have a, an email inbox with, with the email responses I get. And it's well into the thousands of messages I've received. It, it makes me feel, I, I feel on the one hand, it's tough because there are so many people who are struggling. But on the other hand, it's great to let people know that they're not alone and people are, you know, feeling comfortable letting me know how, you know, the situation that they are in or that a loved one is in and maybe it's helping them have a dialogue or a conversation that's needed. That's fantastic advice. Fantastic work, Mark. Mark, earlier this month, you took over as the partner chair of our mental health task force. Tell us a little bit more about the, the mental health task force and its mission. Sure. So I, I think there's kind of been a confluence of events that have allowed us to focus even more closely on mental health in the legal industry. Certainly the American Bar Association has done a lot in that regard with a study that they published uh, several years ago that kind of illuminated the bigger problem. And then there's been numerous other things. Reed Smith, for instance, set up Wellness Works about three and a half years ago for uh, to focus on issues like employee wellness and with all these things happening, you know, roughly 14-ish months ago, we realized that the mental health issues in our profession were getting so much attention that this would make sense to have its own inclusion group or, or subgroup. And so that's exactly what we did was to, was to set that up. And it was stewarded by Kim Gold, a partner in our New York office who did a fantastic job. Kim has now moved to an in-house role. And it was my honor to take, take over that. And, and we have different subgroups within the mental health task force devoted to focusing on different issues. And, and again, what's among the things that are great about the mental health task force is it's inclusive of all Reed Smith personnel, not just attorneys. And it's inclusive of folks who may not have had any experience with mental health issues themselves, but are either passionate or want to be an advocate or have family members who, who've been involved and had mental health issues. And it's, you know, it's really a tremendous outpouring we've seen in, in less than a year since the task force was actually commenced. We've had several hundred personnel from the firm join uh, the task force and we're hoping to continue to expand that. It helps us, the education campaign on mental health issues, and particularly, you know, frankly, uh, in the pandemic, 
with method, mental health issues becoming uh, so prevalent and even more discussed, it, it, it's, you know, I think it's serving as a great resource for our 3,000 plus personnel who may need some support or some resources. Thank you, Mark. So, Mark, I've said this before, and I'll say this again. One of the biggest draws for me when I was looking at joining Reed Smith was the focus around mental health. It hadn't been something that I had previously experienced in the workplace before, particularly not so competently and with an eye towards inclusion, right? Oftentimes when these things were discussed in the past, they came with a lot of shame or, you know, they weren't necessarily framed in a way that that would drive inclusion. As one of the founders of the Mental Health Task Force, would you share with us some of the specific steps you, that the firm took to launch this group so that maybe perhaps other organizations could do the same? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, first, it, it, it started with acknowledging what types of, of issues seem to be important to our employees, attorneys and non-attorneys alike. So it appeared as... 2019 went on and, and going back to 2018 with Wellness Works, it appeared that this was an issue that was of interest to so many people. So so first off, it was starting by listening to the people who were involved, for example, leaders, the, our, our disability inclusion group, and listening to them and understanding that this is, a, this is a really important issue and it deserves potentially its own group or subgroup. And then there are it, it was basically, hey, going to the firm management, hey, we've got this idea, which was you know initially championed by Carolyn Pepper, who's one of our, our founders and leaders of leaders, the Disability Inclusion Group, and saying we've got this idea for this sub this subgroup within leaders, and we think it's it's something that's going to be a resource to employees, and having mentally and physically healthy employees, frankly, is, is good for any organization. And, and you know, there was buy-in immediately. We were allocated budgets to, to set it up. You know, we were there were there were multiple calls. John was involved in some of them. You know, how can we make this as inclusive as possible? How can we make sure people feel comfortable joining? How can we make sure people know that they don't need to themselves have supper or be suffering to join? You know, and it was it was a process that took probably a little less than six months to make sure that there was, you know, proper education initiatives set up, making sure that, you know, there was an overlap and there was a coordination between Wellness Works, which, as I said, has been my, you know, I think around at the firm for about three and a half years and just just absolutely tremendous work for the wellness of all employees, making sure there was a coordinated effort between the two groups. And, and really, it, it's just a continuation of our firm putting its money where its mouth is. And that, that's exactly what we did. What I've seen with some firms is they, they talk about a commitment to diversity inclusion, but it, it, it's just rhetoric. And so this was just a further example, a further way that Reed Smith you know, could support and has supported our folks. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. As you've mentioned, many law firms, many organizations attempt to support employee wellness through their HR department and by providing other resources. How has having a business inclusion group or you know employee resource group made a difference in changing the culture of our organization? I think, speaking from personal experience, as it relates to leaders, I can tell you, without doubt or hesitation, I never would have spoken up publicly if if it was not for leaders and for the folks that I met within leaders. So it gives you a sense of, of comfortability. It gives you a sense of, of companionship. 
and that, you know, kind of we're all in the same boat together. And again, the biggest thing I hear from people when, when we talk about these issues is I feel alone. And so what Reed Smith has done is created a culture where not only do you not have to feel alone, but we'll tell you other people who have been in similar circumstances. And it's not just, you know, with mental health disabilities, it's, you know, with all our inclusion groups, physical disabilities, people of color, winners are our women's initiative. So that's what our firm has done is created a culture where you feel accepted and you feel like your your differences don't don't devalue you. In fact, they they, they make the firm stronger and it, it helps make it a more collaborative environment. Absolutely. You know, Mark, one of the things that I think is very true for me specifically is that I have said out loud that I have PTSD more times at this firm than I have in my entire career, despite having battled PTSD for over a decade. So I definitely 100% agree that the culture here is one where these things aren't looked down upon, you know, they're accepted, and you certainly don't ever feel alone or that your issues that you're facing, you know, devalue you and your worth. Hey, Mark, following up on that, you've had tremendous successes within the firm on on a personal level. And specifically, what can organizations do to help remove some of the stigma associated with seeking help? I know you said earlier that you were very anxious when you came back from your a leave of absence, how the firm was going to receive you. And so specifically, how has the firm um, responded? And like you say, with the culture of the organization, how have you really been supported in, in your personal journey? It started with, even before I went out, I told a few close people, close colleagues, hey, here's, here's what I'm going through. And, and to a person, everyone said, take whatever time you need, do whatever you need. We're going to be here if and when you want to come back. And that just continued um, after I returned. It was, you know, the HR folks that I worked with checking in on me, making sure I was doing okay. You know, same with, you know, the few attorneys who knew the extent to which I'd been gone. It was people who didn't know kind of had assumptions about why I'd been out. I don't think any of them assumed it was for this. Just asking, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Even though they didn't know why I'd been out, just a general kindness and support, um, you know, it was, and, and that's from, you know, senior management on down. There was a couple of people in senior management who knew what I'd gone through and, you know, them reaching out to me and saying, Hey, how's everything going? How are you doing? So again, it was, it was more than just words. I just wanted to make sure that I, you know, I felt supported, which is, you know, exactly what I felt. And then once I started talking about it more openly, I mean, I've literally heard from hundreds and hundreds of people at our firm being supportive and, and you know, saying, Hey, I have a client who, you know, is looking for an ethics or a CLE. Can you come talk to them? We've done multiple of those. Or, hey, my daughter is going through something. Do you have five minutes to chat with me? I don't know how to talk to her. I've, I've had those conversations. It's just become a culture of, of support and positivity. And I couldn't feel more welcome and more supportive than I did. So, Mark... What do you see as the future of programs within organizations with respect to employees with mental health issues? I I think the most important thing is, and this is just my opinion, is the power of personal stories. Because that, to me, and again, through meeting folks and leaders and knowing that other people have gone through similar things, I think that's the most likely thing to get people, either themselves or a loved one, to acknowledge 
that they have a problem and that they need treatment. And treatment can mean a whole lot of things. You know, support or help can mean a, can mean a whole lot of things. But for most people, I think acknowledging that there's that there's something going on and accepting that you need help is the most difficult thing. So when you hear from other people that they went through something and they came out the other side of the tunnel and everything worked out okay, I think to me that's the most impactful thing. And again, without leaders meeting people who they weren't, it wasn't an open forum situation, but it was, we had an honest, open dialogue, a number of people that helped make me more comfortable speaking out more publicly. So I think, I think that to me is, is the future programming in this regard. I, I do think that, that mindfulness and meditation type programs are important, but I think when you can, for me, I used to walk down the halls of Reed Smith and look at somebody and again, you know, assume they could never understand what I went through. They look like they're they're doing great from all outward appearances. So hearing from somebody who has been through it and who you would never assume was struggling, I think that that really allows people. I don't want to say the sense of comfortability, but the sense of ease to know that they're not alone. And Mark, uh, thinking about the future, what for the mental health task force? Uh, what upcoming events does the group have planned? Yeah, so we have uh, a number of great events planned for actually later this month and then early next year. We're still finalizing the specifics for early next year, but I want there to be a every month type of event and even in a virtual workspace uh, and workplace, whether it's somebody, you know, somebody who's been through something themselves speaking or uh, somebody who does mindfulness specific to the legal industry. I, th- I think these types of events are, are extremely important. I think continuing to focus, uh, as we have, in, particularly in the last few months, on mental health as it relates to working parents. I can speak from personal experience with a child going through virtual kindergarten right now and another in preschool, that it's been extremely difficult, and it is extremely difficult what the pandemic has done in that regard. So I want to make sure, and the firm, Reed Smith has done a tremendous job with its uh, resources for working parents. And I want to build upon that through the mental health task force, because I know having spoken to a lot of folks, uh, I'm certainly not alone in in the stressors that the new school year has brought upon working parents. Thanks, Mark. And thank you for championing mindfulness on a personal level. I look forward every day to uh, morning meditation. It's just the highlights of my day um, brings yep. me joy and, and, and peace and just can't say enough about that. Thanks for um, joining us today, Mark, and sharing your personal story. As you said, in the sharing of personal stories is a really effective way for people to identify with some of the issues and for folks to really create that culture that we're all looking to build. So again, thank you for coming in today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Inclusivity Included is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and ReedSmith.com. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.